Howdy and welcome to the 10-week Bible study. This is week two, day three of our study of Isaiah. I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs, and today we're talking about Isaiah 5, 8 through 30. Well, welcome back to the 10-week Bible study. Again, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us, God. Speak to us and fill our hearts today with the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With Alice Shema to God's word, I'll be reading today from the NIV. This is Isaiah 5, starting in verse 8. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. <clears throat> Pausing right there. This is a continuation of uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7 that we started Yesterday, we're still kind of asking the question, what time period of this is this applying to? Who is Isaiah speaking to? When is all this taking place? But here we're, we're seeing um, we're seeing what the Lord has against the people, right? So we've had the metaphor yesterday about the Lord planted a vineyard. He, he took care of it. He planted good soil, uh, took care of the vineyard, but he got bad fruit, right? And if the metaphor wasn't on the nose enough, Isaiah tells us uh, the metaphor, the vineyard, it's Israel, it's Judah, right? It's, it's, it's the people of Israel. It's the nation. It's not an actual vineyard. And so um, we've, we've kind of gone from this metaphor and now we're going to get very specific about the cries that the Lord has heard that's going to bring judgment against the people. And so what he's saying is, hey, you have uh, taken properties that were separate, that belonged to different people, and you've adjoined them, right? So what's happening? And and we need to understand from Israel's context, when the Lord gave the people the land of Israel, he gave tribal inheritances and he gave specific inheritances, family clans and things like that. So the land belonged to individuals and the Lord was very, um, it was very important to the Lord that the land... Um, stay in, in the lines of the people that it was given to, right? It, that, it was, that it was important that people just didn't consolidate the land and push everyone else out, that the land was to be shared, that you could own parts of the land, but it, it was to be shared and it was to be equitable, um, that it wasn't just all of the wealthy people get all of the land and push everyone else out. So much so that uh, no matter what, even if like wealthy people have bought up all the land and they own large swaths, Every 50 years, and it's not 50 years from the time you bought it, it's every 50 years. It's like, okay, you know, 1950 and then 2000 and then 2050, every 50 years, it doesn't matter if you've bought the land or whatever, you've really only leased it because now at the year of Jubilee in the 50th year, if I own like large swaths of property, I have to give them back free of charge to whatever family, clan, and people that they belong to. So the Lord had almost like this reset built in. Now, the problem with that is that's in the law. That was the way that the Lord ordained all of this to happen because naturally there's going to be people that do better than others and they're going to acquire more land and all this kind of stuff. It's like every 50 years, the Lord wants a clean slate. He wants a clean slate. He wants everyone to start over and have the opportunity to start doing well for their family again and have this land. So that's the way the Lord set it up. The problem is if you've got the land... <laughs> Do you want to give it up? Probably not. And so we're talking about the disobedience of, of the command of the year of Jubilee in Israel's case is they're not giving the land back. 
they're adjoining land, they're they're acquiring all these tracts of land, and they're all becoming mine, right? It's like I, I get more and more and more for me, which which is a natural human tendency. And that's why the Lord built in this idea of the year of Jubilee is every 50 years, uh, it's not yours anymore. And that that should have like played into it, right? Because if, if you're following that rule, then you know, I can't own all of these things because like there might, there's 17 years left before the year of Jubilee. So there's no point in me doing this. I'll lease this from you, but you can work it, right? And so you can kind of imagine understanding that system would create a different way of doing things. But at some point they throw that off and they just go to the way all of humans act is I'm going to get as much for me and keep it all to myself and you can't have it. It's not, you know, not for you. Stay away. Don't trespass on my land. Um, you know, and so that's that's uh, what the Lord is, is speaking to here is they're not obeying him in that and they're actually consolidating this land and pushing people out. Verse nine, the Lord Almighty has declared in my hearing, Surely the great houses will become desolate, the fine mansions left without occupants. A 10-acre vineyard will produce only a bath of wine. A homer of seed will yield only an ephah of grain. Um, Those are arcane uh, measuring systems we don't use today, but the point is uh, a whole bunch of work and you're not really going to get much out of it. So it's, it's, it's not going to produce for you. You can do all of this to consolidate everything and it's not going to work out for you anyway. Verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. They have harps and lyres at their banquets, pipes and timbrels and wine, but they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the work of his hands. So again, we got two woes here. The woe to the people that are consolidating the land and pushing everyone else out um, and just like living on all this land alone and saying it's mine, you can't have any of it. Um, and then woe to the people who are, they really like to drink. They're waking up early, they're staying up late at night, they mix drinks and they're they're doing all this stuff, but they don't have any regard for the deeds of the Lord, right? They're th- both of these people, they're throwing off the law of the Lord. They're throwing off the commands of the Lord on how to interact with one another, Right, the the law of jubilee was was for how you interact with one another in the nation of Israel. Same thing here. Like you're great, have parties, but you're you're totally abusing and using people, and you have no regard for what the Lord has laid out. And so here's the answer, verse thirteen. Therefore, my people will go into exile for lack of understanding. Those of high rank will die of hunger, and the common people will be parched with thirst. Therefore, death expands its jaws, opening wide its mouth. Into it will descend their nobles and masses with all their brawlers and revelers. So people will be brought low and everyone humbled, the eyes of the arrogant humbled. But the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice and the holy God will be proved holy by his righteous acts. Then sheep will graze as in their own pasture, lambs will feed among the ruins of the rich. So pausing there, right? So now Isaiah specifically mentions exile. I want to, I want to say this, a lot of commenters, they break Isaiah up into um, sections, right? And they call kind of the first bit of Isaiah and and different commenters break this down at different points. But let's say the first uh, like 30 ish chapter, somewhere in there, 
30 some odd chapters. They kind of break it down. They call it the, the Assyrian period or the Assyrian prophecies. And um, a lot of commenters kind of tend toward Isaiah is talking mostly about the Assyrian attacks on Israel and Judah and the captivity of Northern Israel by, uh, by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians didn't really do the captivity and the, the exile the same way as the Babylonians. Um, but that's the, the, what a lot of commenters about Isaiah say. I personally tend to not break Isaiah down quite along those lines. I don't know if there's any uh, place to as cleanly assign, um, yes, all of these prophecies until chapter 37 or whatever are about Assyria. I don't know that you can 100% say that. Now, do a lot of these things kind of sound like the Assyrians at times? Some of them do, yes. Some of them kind of sound like Babylon. It all kind of kind of flows together. And so I don't know. And again, if you're just trying to like make some kind of narrative out of Isaiah, it kind of makes sense because the first part of Isaiah's life, he sees the Assyrian assault. He sees the Assyrian problem with his own eyes, right? This is, this is going on during Isaiah's lifetime. He sees Assyria rising and he sees Assyria assaulting during that time period. And so that's a, a, where most people kind of come up with that. Um, but this is prophetic in nature and, and a lot of Isaiah, some of it's all over the map. We've already seen some of these things seem to be applying to things that are going to shortly happen. I mean, we're only five chapters in and it, it seems like some things are, are going to shortly happen while other things are definitely about like the end times, like revelation, apocalypse, uh, millennial reign of Jesus. And so we're already kind of over the map. So I don't think it's a good idea to break Isaiah along the lines of what Isaiah could see with his eyes or at least break it into, break it into these things. I don't see Isaiah laid out quite that clearly. I could be wrong. And, and a lot of commenters, I'm not the only person that, that looks at it that way. Um, but a lot of commenters kind of break it along those lines. I don't personally agree in the end. I don't know that it's all that important, right? We want to learn the lessons from, from what we can get out of it. And, and, and it, it's helpful to, to know the history behind these things, but I don't f- always find these prophecies so clearly. Okay. Isaiah was definitely prophesying about the Assyrians. I don't know that I can always see that. I would much rather take a step back and say, it could be, it could be the Babylonians. It could be, you know, when the Persians attacked and, and, you know, whenever, uh, so, um, I, I tend to, uh, take a little bit less assured view of what each one of these things are prophesying about. Unless I know for certain, like the one, uh, what is it? Chapter two, where he's prophesying about the end times and the millennial reign of Jesus. That's very, very clear. We can see from other passages of scripture, this lines up perfectly. That's, that is what he's talking about. Um, but when it's coming to these kind of things, it can be very difficult at times to know for certain exactly what he's talking about. So I tend to take a little bit less assured view of things like that. That's why I tend to draw back and say, I, I don't know that I would break Isaiah down as like the Assyrian part and the Babylonian part. Um, and I think there's some, some other reason. I, I think that's overly simplified is what I'm getting at. So you may listen to me saying all that. And you're like, I have no idea what he's talking about. You've never read any commentaries or anything like that. 
fine. Uh, just let that go in one ear and out the other. If you if you if you're looking at commentaries, you're reading through this, that will make a little bit more sense. All right, continuing on, verse eighteen. Woe to those who draw sin along the cords of deceit and wickedness as with cart ropes. To those who say, let God hurry, let him hasten his work so we may see it. The plan of the Holy One of Israel, let it approach, let it come into view so we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Um, let's pause right there. I think all of those are, are kind of related. Uh, the Lord is is saying to to the first ones, um, right? You're the, you know the, the good evil crowd, and and uh, so you're you're trying to sin as much as humanly possible and get away with it. And then you're saying like, I don't see the Lord working. What if you say the Lord is watching and doing? Come, let me see it. Let me see. It. Let God hurry. It's almost like the in Isaiah's people's language, it's almost like the people would say now, it's like, if there's a God, like tell him to write my name in the stars. I want to see my name in the stars or say, Hey, Darren, uh, I'm real. Right. Like write that out in the stars and let me see it. Um, this is, this is testing the Lord in, in really, really inappropriate ways. These are not good questions. Um, to ask because they're not, they're not really from a genuine place. And, and that's what we see here, right? We've got these wicked people and they're like, well, let God hurry. Let me see the plans of God. They're not really interested in that. They're not, they're not interested in that. And so this is, this is not a genuine, let God hurry and hasten his work. That's the point behind this is they're not genuine. They don't really want that. It's, it's a mocking tone. And, and I'm not saying that everyone's like, I want to see him write my name in the stars. There, there's probably people who've said that that are very genuine, but most of the time that's said in a mocking tone. Like if he's really real, do this thing that I think is impossible. Um, and then I probably won't believe him anyway. Right. Um, even if that happened, uh, I'm not going to tell anybody that I saw it cause I'll be, you know, I'll be looking at the stars alone. I'll see it happen. And <laughs> I'm still not going to tell anybody. I'm still not going to follow the Lord. Right. That's, that's generally speaking how those kinds of things go. Um, and so the Lord is proclaiming all of these woes over people that essentially, um, they, they have no intention of following the Lord is essentially what we're getting to. Back to verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks, who acquit the guilty for a bribe, but deny justice to the innocent. Therefore, as tongues of fire lick up straw and as dry grass sinks down in the flames, so their roots will decay and their flowers blow away like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord Almighty and spurned the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, the Lord's anger burns against his people. His hand is raised and he strikes them down. The mountains shake and the dead bodies are like refuse in the streets. Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. This is an interesting passage right here. This phrase that he ends this little passage with, the Lord is is saying, you know, you're doing all of these wicked things and you're acting like it's, you know, 
that, that the Lord doesn't have any reason to judge you is essentially what's going on in Israel. And then Isaiah is saying, the Lord is going to bring all this devastation against you. And even after all of that judgment devastation, his anger is still not turned away. He's going to say the same thing in Isaiah 9, in a very interesting passage in Isaiah chapter 9, and again uh, later on in the book of Isaiah. Um, but he uses the same phrase. And so this is one of those kind of places. Is this the phrase that the Lord spoke to Isaiah, or is this Isaiah, is this kind of the way that he's phrasing how the Lord is angered? It's a very interesting uh, phrase that Isaiah uses here. I, I find it fascinating that it's it's like the Lord is trying to get your attention and it's not working. And so he's bringing destruction and you're still not repenting and turning back to him. And so his anger is still not turned away. That's the implication of verse 26. He lifts up a banner for the distant nations. He whistles for those at the ends of the earth. Here they come swiftly and speedily. Not one of them grows tired or stumbles. Not one slumbers or sleeps. Not a belt is loosened at the waist. Not a sandal strap is broken. Their arrows are sharp. All their bows are strung. Their horses' hooves seem like flint. Their chariot wheels like a whirlwind. Their roar is like that of a lion. They roar like young lions. They growl as they seize their prey and carry it off with no one to rescue. In that day, they will roar over it like the roaring of the sea. And if one looks at the land, there is only darkness and distress. Even the sun will be darkened by clouds. So here the Lord is saying, hey, I'm because you refuse to repent. When Isaiah uses that same phrase, for all of this, his anger is not turned away. When he uses this in chapter nine, I think it's a lot more clear exactly what's going on, but it's the same kind of thing here. The people refuse to repent. Even when the Lord brings things against them, they refuse to open their eyes to what the Lord is doing. They refuse to repent and the Lord has to bring more. And in fact, the Lord says, because you refuse to repent, I'm whistling, I'm calling for all of the nations and saying, hey, here's my people, have at them. Come and get them, they're yours for the taking. And the Lord says, hey, they are faster and speedier than ever ever before. Some translations, it says there's only darkness and distress. Some translations say doom and gloom. And this is where you get the idea of doom and gloom prophecy from. There's there's doom and gloom here in Isaiah and in Jeremiah. And, and there's literally in some translations, the English word, the English translations, there is that word, that phrase doom and gloom. And um, we, as, as modern people, Christians, modern Western Christians, I feel like we tend to, uh, the idea of doom and gloom, we don't like it. We don't like it, but it's a very important thing in scripture that we understand exactly why the Lord is prophesying doom and gloom. It's not because like the Lord is just the cosmic killjoy who doesn't like us to have fun. And it's like, oh my gosh, these guys, they're, they're just enjoying life too much. And I don't like it. I've got to put a stop to all this fun. And so I'm going to bring doom and gloom. That's not what this is about. The doom and gloom is because they've rejected the knowledge of God. They're oppressing the poor. They're stealing from everyone around them. They're living as licentious as possible, which always leads to more abuse and, and, and just doing terrible things to other people. 
And so the Lord is saying, because you've behaved like this, for you, there is a day coming that is nothing but doom and gloom. It's going to be bad. For the people of Israel and for every nation on planet Earth that throws off the knowledge of God and then abuses people that doesn't stand up for the poor and the widow and the fatherless and instead abuses them and uses them and exploits them. The Lord prophesies over and over again and the annals of history make it clear that those societies, days of doom and gloom are in their future. We should do well to keep that in mind. For the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. And I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast. And my heart is for people to fall in love with God's word. Thank you.